Welcome to the Love and Grace Podcast. My name is Joel Menken. Today I have got Mark Day. Hello. And on Zoom, we have got Britt Eaton. Hello, Britt. Hey guys, how are you? Good. Uh, Britt, every time I have someone new on, I love to get the background, just the understanding of, of where someone's coming from, why they think the way they think, and help people understand where you're coming from. So, um, first off, where's home? Where's home right now? Yeah, so I am based on 10 wooded acres in uh, Mount Vernon, Ohio, which is about 45 minutes northeast of Columbus, Ohio. I live here with my husband, Mike, my daughter, Bella, and this is a uh, home base for my business and my ministry. Awesome. Um, so obviously you just, you just stated that you are in ministry. What Let's let's backtrack a tiny bit. Did you grow up in a Christian home? I, yes, I did grow up in a Christian home. I grew up uh, within Christian traditions is maybe the best way that I can put that. Uh, my mom and dad are wonderful people of faith. Uh, I was also brought up in very diverse traditions. My dad was a choir director, oh, wow. and, and the nature of being a choir director means you go to wherever the choir director job is. So, although my parents were both raised in the Nazarene tradition, and that was the early piece of my faith, uh, I also grew up in Methodist circles, Presbyterian circles, Catholic circles, Baptist, I was all over the board. So that diverse upbringing gave me a very broad, multifaceted view of who the Father was. Um, that being said, I knew a lot about God as a child. I didn't really know Him until I was maybe in my 30s. So it's very possible for someone to grow up in a Christian home underneath Christian traditions and actually not got, know God at all. I knew all the words to say, I knew all the, the mm. steps to take to make people think that I looked just fine on the surface, but it took a really long time for a genuine encounter with the Holy Spirit to connect me to the Father, to show me who He really was, and to make me want to step into that reconciled union that I had with Him through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. So it's been amazing. Um, the, the call on the call of God I had on my life uh, happened in my early 30s. Um, I felt a call into ministry. And at the time, coming out of the professional world, I thought that meant you go get a job at a church or go get a job in a ministry. What else do you do, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> and uh, the idea that God had for me to be active in ministry was actually very different. He wanted me to have a for-profit business. Yes, He wanted me to do with work with faith-based organizations and nonprofits, as well as some really forward-thinking for-profit companies. But um, in the midst of that, he is focused less on me figuring out how to assimilate into the church, and he's more interested in having me be the church. And I show up to do that um, as a writer, as a speaker, as a discipler. And right now, the, my primary goal in life is to help uh, people find the words to say to move people to action mm -hmm. for uh, whatever it is that they feel called to. So it's been an, a wild blessing stepping out of the corporate world into this calling that God's had on my life. And it has connected me with some of the most wonderful kingdom people all across the world. It's been amazing the things that I've been invited into. And it's also connected me with you, Joel, and now today you, Mark. I'm so excited to be on with you guys. <laughs> <laughs> so let's backtrack just a little bit. So um, what, what, um, when you say corporate world, what did you get to do in, in the corporate world? Sure. So I had my undergraduate degree I got from uh, Mount Vernon Nazarene University. It's actually um, about 10 minutes from my house where I live here in Mount Vernon. My dad uh, was a college professor there in, in addition to his side gig as a choir director. <laughs> he was a vocal pedagogy professor. And uh, my husband's father actually worked at the university as well. It's how we met. Um, my undergrad was in visual communication and design with a minor in communication, uh, a minor in music, excuse me. Um, and then I went on into my professional career started out in higher education marketing. So this was when digital marketing was just starting to become a thing. Content strategy was just starting to become a thing. So it was a very interesting uh, training ground for me uh, to step in, learn how to be a more effective communicator. And, um, and then I, I ended up stepping into a master's level program in marketing and communications um, in my late 20s, I think I, I graduated when I was 27 with my, my master's in marketing. And then uh, beyond that, my goal was to go work in the corporate 
corporate world. I wanted the big job. I wanted the big money. I wanted everything else. It's what I worked so hard to do. Um, I finally worked my way up through the ranks in higher education to land the job that I thought that I always wanted. I ended up um, as a vice president of communications for a very prominent financial institution in Columbus. I wrote down on a piece of paper exactly what I wanted out of every part of my professional life. I got it and I was miserable. I, I had just had my young daughter. She was little at home. I had no time with her. My relationship with my husband was falling apart. I was in shambles. And so finally, I, along with the call of God that I felt on my life, I felt a call to step out of the corporate environment. And I was part of a startup uh, in New Albany, Ohio. Uh, it was an employee engagement firm. We focused on marketing, strategic communications, uh, uh, engagement writing for organizations, that type of thing. Mm -hmm. And through, through all of the knowledge gained, not only in the transition out of the corporate world, but also in the entrepreneurial spirit of being part of a vibrant startup, my call, my call in my life became clear. God wasn't calling me to go necessarily become an itinerant pastor and travel around and figure out how to become the next Christine Kane. No, Mm -hmm. in fact, he was saying, what I'm asking you to do is very different. We're going to give a voice to people who don't yet have a voice. We're going to bring people's messages of hope and of healing out to the forefront. You are going to be the one to help people find those words to say, to move people to action. So it's a very it's a very humbling place to live in. It requires a level of intimacy with my clients, whether they're corporate clients or whether I'm working with uh, individual ministers or uh, influencers, those types of people. It's a privilege to be able to help people develop those platforms, not in order to push their own name, but to make God known in our communities and around the world and to make the goodness of the gospel more clear, more understandable, and even more relevant for today. So it's a privilege to be able to do that kind of work. Had I stayed in the corporate world, been focused on the money, this isn't something that I would have been able to do. But transitioning out, God has provided for me in wild ways. Um, (laughs) In many ways, it felt at times like my life and my career was falling apart. But in fact, He was lining it up perfectly so that I could be on the path that I'm on. I was laughing with my husband last night that... um, even in 2020, even in the year that was what people call, you know, the year from hell, it was horrible, mm, <laughs> the worst yeah. ever. Mm-hmm. We had a year of abundance. We had a year of security, not so much because we knew everything would be okay, but because we have so totally entrusted our lives and our livelihoods over to the Father. He has been faithful to provide and faithful to carry us forward. And part of our joy and part of our hope is sharing that that with people to understand we can't look to the world to provide our security. We can't look to the world to provide our pathways and our plans. No, the Father is the one who's going to set that up for us. And if we can have humility to step into that and then walk in it, knowing we're not alone, knowing He's there walking through it with us in the triumph, those mountaintop moments and in the valleys, those days where we just want to throw in the towel. He's with us every step of the way. So it's this this wild grace that he's willing to step into our stories, to walk with us. That's what makes me almost excited about whatever the next chapter is in life. We're all living in a time of radical uncertainty. They call the times unprecedented. And I'm so sick of that word because everybody says it. (laughs) But true there's a reason that we're using that word these times are unprecedented but that being said just because we don't know how to do this and we've never done it before does not mean it's not a huge opportunity to lean into god and to say Papa, what is it you have for us right now? What do you want to teach us? And how can we continue to grow through this and come back together in your name? So it's an exciting time to be working. It's an exciting time to be alive, I tell (laughs) you. Yeah, so obviously you touched on that just a little bit. My next question a little bit. But what was that one thing that changed your understanding of God from – something we do on sunday or this is a mindset or this is this is the way we're supposed to act versus a relationship what was that encounter with with god 
Yeah, that's a, it's a hard question, and I'm going to try to walk you through it. And I don't think it was one defining moment. Okay. Or if it comes out as one, I'll let you know as I'm unpacking it. So <laughs> bear good. with me for a second. So I, I went to church, and I checked boxes and played the part of a good Christian girl for 18 years of my life. From about age 15 on, I very much lived a compartmentalized double life that would occasionally come to the surface when I when I messed up and I, I didn't know how to compartmentalize well enough. Um, <laughs> and uh, the first time that God became really real to me, I was actually in basic training for the military. Um, I was in the Marine Corps for nearly four years right after high school, uh, Marine Corps Reserve. When I was in basic training, that's uh, being a young 18-year-old girl who's never left home at Paris Island, South Carolina, first couple nights in the barracks, you're being screamed at, you're trying to assimilate, you're trying to make everything work, and um, they give you a little green Gideon Bible when you join the military. They still do that, even to this day, they give you a Gideon Bible, and I sat down knowing I had about five minutes before I was supposed to be up in my my bunk and silent for the rest of the night until they would scream me awake. And I just sat with that Gideon Bible and in desperation, I just opened it up. I hadn't prayed in years. I didn't know what to say. I didn't even know if there was anybody listening, but I just opened it up and I said, God, if you're there, would you say something? Would you show me anything? And he took me straight to Psalm 34, 4. And that uh, verse is very simple, and it's it's said about a million different ways throughout the Psalms, but it said, I sought the Lord, and He heard me, mm. and He delivered me from all my anxious fears. Like, that was the first, like, I, I didn't know how to describe it at the time, but that was the first time I ever heard from the Holy Spirit mm. in my life. Like, I asked for something out loud, and He was like, I hear you, and here's your immediate response. This is exactly what you needed in that moment. I would love to tell you that after that that God encounter, that I suddenly turned my whole life around, that everything was clear and okay and fine. No, my life was a disaster, an absolute disaster. I was in a bad relationship, and even after I broke that relationship off, um, got together with my husband, and after Mike and I got married, my, my 20s were a walking disaster. I very much still played the part of the good Christian girl. We went to church. We we did all of the things we needed to do. We said all the things that we needed to say, but neither my husband or I were really walking with the Lord in any way. We knew a whole lot about him. It's all those Bible quizzing things that you do when you're a yeah. kid. I don't know. I just mm-hmm. knew a lot about God, but I didn't know him personally at all. Yet there was something about it that I wouldn't renounce my faith. I wouldn't say I'm not a Christian. I just, it it wasn't real to me yet. And so honestly, the desire for a deeper connection came shortly after my daughter was born. But it was actually a box checking moment that, that led me to that deeper desire. So we were attending a Presbyterian church here in Mount Vernon and um, we had a good relationship with the pastor. He was kind of younger and he, he was friends with me and with Mike and he looked at me and he smiled and he said, can I ask you a question, Britt? Why do you want to have your daughter christened? Hmm. And I, I felt really awkward. I thought, well, isn't that obvious? Isn't it just what you do? <laughs> I said, <laughs> I don't know because I think I should. And he said, well, why is that? And I said, I do I don't know. And he said, you know, from my perspective, let me just be really direct with you. Why are you so interested in baptizing your daughter when I can barely even get you here on a Sunday? Mm. And that level of Mm. challenge and that level of direct love is something nobody had ever given to me before. So I sat up, I took notice and I said, okay, I hear you. What do I need to do? And he just said, well, if you're interested in going forward, you might consider membership at the church if you want to have her christened here and want to have her, you know, brought into the family, into the tradition. And I said, that sounds like a good deal. I'll go ahead. What's your course? I'll walk through it. And in the course of those years of Jonathan actively discipling me, inviting me into discipleship circles where I was not only being discipled, but I was discipling others, the Holy Spirit finally broke through to me, started to become real to me because it was no longer a box that I was checking. It was a relationship that I was building. I had people who knew how to lovingly calibrate invitation and challenge with me in a true discipleship manner. I never had that in all of my years growing up in the Christian tradition. Knew a lot about Jesus. I had never met 
people who would be Jesus with skin on to me. Mm. I never had people love me that much and want to be that invested in my faith and in my future. So that was transformative. But what was wild was as my faith started to blossom and grow, that was the point where my life pretty much fell off a cliff. So I had just a radical Holy Spirit encounter I think you've heard me tell this story before, Joel. So uh, I was at a, a supernatural life conference up in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. I will say I was brought to that conference under complete false pretenses. My <laughs> mama Deb was head of our prayer group at the church. And she said, Britt, let's go to this prayer conference up in Harrisburg. And I'm like, oh, that sounds so delightful. Let's go do that. I get there and I grew up in a pretty diverse background, but it was not a very charismatic background mm -hmm. to, to say the least i walk into the auditorium there are people sprawled on the floor filled with the holy spirit i just looked at them i said what have you done where are we I, I i don't know what to do with any of this and so i was so fearful by what was around me because i didn't understand it even in praying to god i kept saying should i leave is this wrong and all I could all I could hear was his assurance, like, just hold on a little bit longer. Just hold on a little bit longer. So I stayed the night, went back the next morning, and the very first speaker at that event was our mutual friend, Bill Vanderbush. And he, in that very first morning, preached a message on grace and love that was so offensive to me at the moment, I nearly got up and left from his preaching. <laughs> <laughs> what what was the, the, what was the offensive part to to you at the time? So the level of grace and love and unity that Bill was preaching to, the type of forgiveness that he was talking about was something that in my own flesh I did not know how to extend mm. to the people who were contributing to the mounting offenses against me. I was angry with my church. Like I, I had developed, even in my de genuine desire to get to know God better, I had developed a horrifying religious spirit. I had been invited into leadership and I was doing that in a very pharisaical and heavy handed kind of way. I didn't know any better. It's what I grew up in. Mm -hmm. And then I was very angry with my, my career situation. I was very angry with my boss. I was very angry with all of the things I believed myself to be entitled to because of all of the hard work that I had done. I was very angry and I got to a place where I was very vindictive, very manipulative, and I was tearing, I was taking people down with me. I would look for people to commiserate with professionally so that I could have people to identify with. It was awful. And then finally, my relationship with my husband was very strained and mike is right downstairs listening to this this interview he would come up and join me and, and attest to the fact that we loved each other genuinely we had been married for i think it was seven years at the time but we didn't have much of a marriage at all we were like roommates at best we didn't know how to fight and we knew something was off both of us did but we wouldn't deal with it. We refused to deal with it. We just kept on putting on the facade of everything's fine. I'm fine. It's fine. Everything's fine. <laughs> <laughs> and then in my early 30s, so I'm hearing this message that Bill is preaching on grace and love and mercy and forgiveness it, as God defines it. And I said to myself, I don't want to release grace over these people. I don't want to forgive these people. Because if I'm not angry about this, I'm not sure I even know who I am. I'm mm. not sure I even know what I'm supposed to do beyond that. My identity was so broken at the time that even though I loved to sing the songs about being a child of God, even though I was all on board and attracted to every part of who God was, I still didn't know him yet. I didn't see myself as his beloved daughter. I didn't realize how loved and forgiven I was. And so I didn't feel yet moved to release that kind of grace or mercy or compassion over anyone else. And so I was pretty angry with Bill at this moment, just the speaker that I'm hearing for the first time, but something about him stuck in my mind. I think what it really was, was I was at a Presbyterian church at the time. And interestingly, when Bill was preaching, he was um, an associate pastor at a Presbyterian church. And so I had this moment of saying, I don't understand what you're talking about, 
But somewhere deep down, I know you're like me. I know you're like me. You're mm-hmm. kind of a presbycostal. I'm going to hang out with you. We're gonna, you're going to be somebody that I follow. Um, it was probably two to maybe three months after that event that my some things came to a head in my marriage that almost ended it. Um, there were uh, instances of infidelity on all sides that came up, and we had every reason, both of us, to walk away. And it was wild walking through the very first counseling appointment with my husband. We sat, we had our individual sessions with the counselor and then he sat with the two of us toward the end and he looked at us both and he said, do you both have a desire to stay married? Do you both have a desire to make this work? Every part of my flesh wanted to say, no, no, not really. I mean, it's been kind of a struggle since the beginning, but I guess since we have all the reasons and we can check all of our religious boxes, let's just get out of this while we're ahead. But I felt this pause in my spirit. I knew in my heart that that grace message that had offended me so much was enveloping me in that moment. And I knew that there was more for us. I knew there was more for our marriage. And I said, yes. It wasn't my voice, but it was the Holy Spirit's voice coming through my lips. And I'm saying, yes, I have a desire to make this work. I still love my husband, even though we don't know how to love one another well. I still want this marriage, even though I have no idea what marriage is. It was, some would look at it and say it was reckless. It was irrational. It doesn't make any sense for us to continue, but by the grace of God that I was just beginning to understand. Mm -hmm. So over the course of several years, Mike and I worked so hard. We leaned in on the Lord. Both of us had just wild, miraculous encounters, supernatural encounters with the Holy Spirit, softened our hearts toward one another. It opened up avenues in our lives and in our ministries to be able to shed genuine compassion on people and and love people in a way and understand people in a way that they had never been loved or understood before. It not only expedited what God was trying to do in our lives, but for the first time, we began to understand how loved and forgiven we were. We began to understand what it means to be a son and a daughter. We we understood that for the first time. And once that happens to you, once you have this wild encounter with God where he reveals your identity to you, it mm. changes you yeah. because you're, you're not only happy to receive it, you just want everybody else to know about it too. You, oh, you want yeah. everybody to know. So flash forward years later, um, I'm in Worcester, Ohio, actually, I think at another mutual friend of ours, uh, Keith Smith at Gateway Church in he, he Worcester, was, Ohio. He was just on two episodes ago. Three episodes awesome. ago. I Sorry. love Keith and Mia. They are some of my favorite people. So I didn't know them at the time, but um, uh, one of my, I, I had just returned from a trip, a uh, mission trip to Israel and Palestine. And one of my fellow travelers reached out to me on Facebook and said, Hey, this guy, Bill Vanderbush, is going to be preaching at Gateway Church in Worcester, Ohio. Is that near you? This girl's from California just reaching out saying, Hey, you might want to go to this. And I said, That's 45 minutes from my house. I know exactly who that is. And I'm there. (laughs) (laughs) And it was wild in that, in that session, Bill and I actually got to meet face to face. We got to have a great discussion about, um, you know, how his grace message offended and then completely transformed my life through the power of the Holy spirit. And it has been amazing to build that relationship. Um, and also a ministry with Bill and Tracy, we are now, we're now family with Bill and Tracy, my husband, Mike and I, and um, we're all doing life together. Although they're in Orlando and we're here in central Ohio, there is um, a rising up group of decentralized Jesus people who are learning what it means to do life together in the midst of a pandemic, in the midst of a world that so is so desperately divided. They need Jesus more than ever. And we are privileged to kind of be a part of what, the church is going to look like going forward, which admittedly to go back to your very first question, it looks very different from the church that I grew up in. And I, I think that can be scary for people, but um, I'm kind of up for the challenge, yeah, <laughs> frankly. So yeah, God is good. His hands and in, in our story and in, in our lives, it, it's just wild when you look back over the years and, you know, all of I really came to a head. I had that real live transformative God encounter 
when I was about 33 years old, when I had that moment in counseling with my husband that changed everything, that pivotal moment that changed the trajectory of my life. And now I'm 40 looking back, I just turned 40 in December, looking back on the first, probably the first half of my life ish. And I can't wait for the second half now. <laughs> just like Mark and I were talking before we got on the call he told me his new year's resolution is to do better and that's my resolution for the rest of my life i just i've learned so much and now i have so much more to learn so i just want to do better for my god i want to give him everything i have uh let's let's just let's touch on that just real quick so mark go and go and um put your new year's resolution out there real quick and you guys bounce off that real quick oh hi okay (laughs) (laughs) no uh yeah so uh, I was telling Britt uh, beforehand that because uh, I asked her what her New Year's resolution was, and you know, we were just going back and forth. And I said, "Well, mine uh, just became two words: just do better." Um, and I was sharing with her that um, it had started about like two, three years ago. Just because, like, as people, we we're so focused on wanting to, you know, change. Like we want to improve, like we want to see results, but when it comes to the process of things, we don't take the time to go through it. Mm-hmm. So um, like for example, you know, when New Year's comes around, you know, you, you get the phrase, new year, new me, I'm gonna go to the gym, I'm gonna eat right, I'm gonna get my finances right, you know, I'm gonna, you know, start a family, get a house, get a car. And when, you know, in your mind, it's all like lined up, you're like, yup, A, B, C, D, we're good. But <laughs> as soon as you stub your toe, like during like that first step you're like yeah huh, my big toe like then it's like oh everything's crumbling i don't want to do this anymore like you get frustrated you know you start like swinging on everything and want to punch everybody in the throat like that's just <laughs> you know because ah, like you start because it go it goes from when once that one pitfall or that one little stumble happens we give up and then we look at our peers or others that we perceive as doing better than us mm-hmm. we begin we begin to grow envious we begin to compare ourselves like oh my life isn't you know as great as i wish my life was like that i wish i was like this person but you may not know what that person has or is going through mm-hmm. because it's easy like uh, like miss Britt was saying about you know what I perceive as you're just putting on a face of, yeah, I can check these boxes. I can look great. You know, especially with social media nowadays, you have, you know, people like, yeah, you know, I'm I'm living it up in Florida or yeah, I got a new car. But, you know, a lot of it is just because, you know, they're, they're hungering for something. They Mm -hmm. want something. They want that acceptance. They want, you know, people to just see, Hey, I'm fine, but I'm not fine. Mm -hmm. Like you can look at a person and see, the dreariness on the inside just by looking in their eyes sometimes um but i'm I'm going off on a trail going back (laughs) so with do with uh the words do better it's just focusing on the process and allowing yourself to make mistakes allowing yourself to to fall to walk to slow down go faster to pick up things to let go of things um to obtain you know to let go of it's all these different things and for me personally i i mean uh, i've made a lot of mistakes <laughs> i've made a lot of mistakes i mean it i'm i'm not perfect and you know i was explain. i think i was i was telling brit that uh i remember there's a time that a theist had brought up i think during church one one sunday uh you know when you look in a mirror what do you see do you see yourself or you know do you see jesus because when when we see jesus we picture jesus as as perfect like and i mean you know in our perception of christianity okay and and please correct me if i'm wrong but in my perception of christianity or you know america it's we we make it to where jesus is the perfect being and i'm not saying he's not but it's interesting because the ones that wanted to see him fall they 
thought he was imperfect because to them, it all goes back to perception. They went through the process of, you know, oh yeah, like I can, you know, read the scriptures, you know, I know all the laws, like every I've done everything right, just as Miss Britt was talking about. I've done everything right. Mm -hmm. And now you get this dude that's just walking in, oh yeah, I'm the son of God. What's up? And then everyone's <laughs> just like, what? Like, no, you can't. That no, 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 okay, no, and <laughs> and so with doing better, I don't want to, you know, be the person to be like, I've gone through all these things, I've done everything right, just to have somebody come up to be like, oh yeah, um, I'm actually where you want to be right now. Because when we see that, we get upset. We are like, what? Like, I may not have done everything right, but I want to get there. And then you start to figure out, like, I, I mean, do I want to cut corners? And then you start wanting to change your plan. You start wanting to change your process. And what I've, what I've been learning with, with God, um, <laughs> and I'm not the most, and I, I say this to, you know, Joel and a lot of our friends in our, in our church group and our church family. I'm like, I'm not the most spiritual person in the world. I love Jesus. Like, I, I mean, my relationship with Jesus, like, it, ugh, it's amazing. But how me and Jesus interact, it's, it's, it's funny because, like, it's like this voice. It's like I'm talking to myself in my head to where I'm like, you know, Lord, I don't want to do this anymore. Like, I, I want to try something else. He goes, yeah, dummy, do whatever you want. But at the same time, like, <laughs> you have to be able to trust me through everything that you do. Because in order to do better, you have to be able to do better with someone. And whether it be, you know, your, your church family or just somebody having a support structure, mm -hmm. just, just having that. And so in allowing, in allowing yourself, because essentially you're doing better with yourself and then with, you know, with Jesus, yourself, and then other people. But mm -hmm. uh, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm talking a lot, but um, <laughs> it's, it's, it's dots are starting to connect and it's, it's really funny. But all, in all be all with doing better, it just means allowing you to be you. That's allowing mm -hmm. you to be perfect in the midst of your imperfections. Allowing yourself through the process to pick up perfection along the way. Because once you get mm -hmm. to that, once you get to your result, once you get to where you want to be, you're gonna be, you're gonna look back like we all have been saying. You look back, you're like, man, I'm so glad I did that. Would I do it again? Probably not. But <laughs> would I go back and do it again? Nah. <laughs> but now I have knowledge to where I can share but, with other people or I can use that to further, you know, advance to, you know, the next step of my life. Yeah. And the, the journey was important. Yes. So, and it's actually, it's funny because I haven't told you the story, Angel. Um, <laughs> and it kind of goes back to the story where um, at my previous job, I was a truck driver for a junk removal company. So I had a chance to go to like quarter houses and all that, you know, great fun stuff. Have you ever seen the mm -hmm. hoarders? That's what I basically did for my job. <laughs> um, Love that show. Oh gosh. It's yeah. I've, I've seen it. <laughs> um, so we, I remember we went to like, me and my partner had went to a gas station and um there was this uh, this girl she had to have been like maybe like 17 18 whatever she was selling calendars to f as a fundraiser for like her youth group or whatever because she was wanting to do like a uh, young life or something like that because she wanted to be you know like a youth leader and you know she was standing there you know just talking to people like hey you want to buy a calendar I was like, oh yeah you know i was like i can't buy a calendar but i'll donate money to you like that's fine mm -hmm. and so i was like just give me a second you know i went but went about my business walked out got my wallet came back and I'm like, oh, so what's this for? She goes, oh, you know, I want to be a youth leader. And, you know, I've I've been chasing after God. And I just want to see what God, you know, where God wants me. Because right now, you know, ministry is my heart. 
and all of these things. And I'm like, wow, that's crazy. Cause I, and I told her, I was like, yeah, I remember how it used to be, you know, raising money to, you know, do go to youth camps. We've done car washes. We've, you know, just all these different things, you know, bake sales. Like I told her, I was like, yeah, I used to be a youth leader. Like, you know, me and, you know, a bunch of us did. And like, just the look on her face was just like, really? And she started asking me questions and we were like just talking. And it was interesting because when I looked at this young lady's eyes, like she started crying and the and it was weird because like she looked at me well okay first i'm going to tell you this right now i felt kind of offended a little bit because she was like you're like a spiritual grandpa and i like looked at it all every part of my being was just like excuse yourself (laughs) but while talking to her my point is talking to her i was able to look back at everything that i went through with with Jesus. My relationship with Jesus, I didn't know I could have a relationship with Jesus until I was 17 years old. I didn't really start that process until I was 17 years old. So, in goal, furthering and doing better with Jesus, the process, making mistakes, learning to forgive myself, learning to forgive other people, learning to learn about who Jesus was to me, learning how to love him, learning how to accept his love for me and his grace. Um, And now being 27, 10 years later, I can just sometimes me and God will just sit there. I'm like, remember that time where you told me not to do the thing and I did the (laughs) thing anyway, and you were like, I told you not to do the thing. And I was like, but the thing was cool. Yeah, I should smack you for that. Like, it's just one of those things, like, it's it's just funny. But, yeah, so whenever I think do better, I just think, yeah, do better with you and me. So, sorry, that was kind of a, a rant, but it was just a lot. A dot started connecting at that point. <laughs> but, no, no, that's good. That's really good. Yeah. Um, Bree, uh, you said that you got to uh, – you had met up with uh, Bill Vander Bill Vanderbush at uh, a a church event. What um, mm-hmm. what transpired from from that event? <laughs> oh, here we go. Uh, so Bill and I have a funny story about this. Um, those of you who know him will you may have heard the story before, and you might think it's really funny. Um, so Bill and I had never met face to face. But as I'm there in Worcester, Ohio, and he's giving a uh, really amazing message on the Ark of the Covenant, um, I'm sitting there furiously taking notes, and he keeps looking in my direction in a weird way, as if he thinks he knows me, which makes you feel a little bit uncomfortable, but I'm just like, maybe he recognized, like, he couldn't recognize me from that event back in Harrisburg. There were thousands of people there. It didn't right. make sense. But um, in any case, uh, he concluded his session, and then there was a receiving line of at least 20 or 25 people waiting to talk to him. Mm-hmm. He bypassed the receiving line with his friend Dale Dye and came running over to me. <laughs> and I'm like, what is going on? So apparently when Bill was teaching, he thought I looked like an actress from a TV show that he had been watching. And he was so convinced that I was her that he had to come over and introduce himself. And then he felt really embarrassed when he <laughs> saw me and realized I'm not this actress. But he had been having a conversation with his buddy Dale on the way to the event in Worcester about a book that he had been trying to write for 10 years and he just couldn't get past like page 35. He couldn't figure it out. And Dale had said to him, Oh, well, I think you need to hire a ghostwriter, hire a ghostwriter. Somebody will help you write your book. And he's Mm -hmm. like, I didn't know that was a thing. That's interesting. Tell me more about that. So at about that same time, when Bill was driving to the church, I was also driving to the church with my friend Kelly uh, you guys know Kelly. Um, <laughs> but so Kelly keeps saying to me that message that he preached when we were up in Harrisburg, it's been so huge in your life. Like, do you think maybe this is a sign from God that he's here in Worcester, Ohio? Like maybe you're supposed to do some work with him. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Like that has to be God's thing. And if he wants us to do any kind of work together, Bill would have to approach me. I'm not going to come talk to him. And so God has a sense of humor and he takes me at my word. And so he gave Bill this idea that I looked like this actress. He comes up, starts this horribly awkward conversation with me. (laughs) (laughs) And then once he realizes I'm not this actress, he says, okay, well, so what do you do? And (laughs) I said, I'm a (laughs) ghostwriter. 
Oh, <laughs> and his face was like, oh, what? <laughs> oh, wow. From that point forward, Bill and I, um, we had a few phone conversations. And then over the course of the next year, we worked on uh, the manuscript for a book we did together called Reckless Grace. Uh, it just came out uh, last year. Uh, it's a really interesting publishing in the middle of a pandemic, let me tell you that much. But um, <laughs> I really believe the book Reckless Grace that we were able to produce together. The world has never needed the message more than it needs it right now. So yeah. God is faithful about when he decides to bring those messages to life. When Bill's been trying to write a book for 10 years, when it has been radically, that message has been radically changing my life for eight years. It's mm. definitely time for some people to get together and put it down on paper. God is so faithful. And now he works those things out for his good and his timing is out. It's outstanding. His timing is outstanding. So wow. yeah, there's a lot going on with grace and love these days. Wow. <laughs> yeah. That's wow. I like that. That's really cool. <laughs> it's, it's such a cool God moment. Yeah. So um, what's what's interesting with that is um, those the similar um, situations of of uh, following a teaching I'm I'm curious about, but I'm just like, is that is that right? And and listening uh, literally, I dove really deep into trying to understand Bill's point of view to. Mm-hmm to the gospels to Jesus and it it went I went I went so deep and it's like mm-hmm. okay I've this this is it I mean obviously this is the right thing I've been unfortunately following a twisted version of Christianity all this time and now it's finally um Finally, seeing the truth—if you—if you want to say it, the truth—if you want to—it uh, makes more sense that God would be a loving and caring person versus someone who is judgmental even to his own followers. Yeah. So. Yeah. So th- again, I mean, thankfully, I've got I've got to to start a podcast along these lines and be able to talk about and have these conversations in the vein of love and grace and mm-hmm. this has just been such a a big breath of fresh air for so many people that have been yeah. you know, say beat down with I, I hate to put put religion in a bad light I mean we've put religion in such a bad light over time I mean uh, Paul talked about um, true religion um, yeah. But it's the the idea of just that there's there's so much more than the little sliver that that you believe that you have or that from my point of view that I had believed about God. It's like, well, yeah. God was God was there to, you know, I got to do what I what I'm supposed to do or else. I mean, I was raised I was raised in a in a church that you know it was up to me. I was making sure my salvation was right. Mm. It was me. It was all on my shoulders. So thinking about all those things like, oh, dang, I I messed up here. Oh, I messed up here. Oh, I messed up here. Mm -hmm. And every Sunday, every Wednesday was, you know, go sobbing to the altar at the end of service. And now seeing that that was something that Satan was using to hold us down. Mm-hmm. Whereas like he sees he sees a bigger picture. He sees that you know God has this big plan and he's trying his best to, to thwart what God is doing. So mm-hmm. by putting the theology of you have to you have to you're responsible. There's something you have to do to to manage your relationship with God and we completely blew past everywhere where it says um, I'm going to do this for you I'm taking care of you I care about you I want the best for you I love you How? Uh, I think it was I can't remember who no I think it was Bill Bill's talking about uh, how Christianity looks has looked like a bunch of uh, a bunch of orphans who are afraid that they're gonna 
they're going to be kicked out on the street. For sure. For sure. Uh, are we orphans? He says we're I, the sons and daughters of him. He, he, we yeah. are his sons and daughters. He's not going to kick you out. He loves you. Yeah. Go yeah. for it, Bree. Well, I think that, that orphan spirit and that orphan mentality can be really hard to shake, mm. especially when, especially for those of us who we might have walked up in the tradition, but we didn't realize we were full on adopted by God until we were a little older. Yeah. It's hard to look back on those years where you are fighting for your salvation so hard every day. Worry. I used to believe that God was an angry God up in heaven, like literally making tick marks on a chalkboard every time mm -hmm. I sinned. And I had to wipe that chalkboard clean by the end of the day or if I died in my sleep, I'd go to hell. I believed that with my whole heart because the church taught it to me. <laughs> yeah. It's sad. It's sad. And I, and I understand, please understand, I, I'm the same as you, and I get sensitive when people use words uh, like religion and the church negatively, because let me tell you right now, I don't care what, what kind of tradition you come from or what kind of walk you're walking right now, we are the church. Mm -hmm. We are the church. And if mm -hmm. there's a portion of our body that's broken, it's on us. Yeah. So, even when I speak to a religious spirit, which is not what Christ intended for His church, when I speak of a man-made business system that has become what the world sees as the church, that is not Christ's church. That's a model that we've built. Mm -hmm. As we step out of these things, we can more clearly see our true identity in Christ. Yeah. When you're, when you're held up in a system— you will ask, what are the steps I have to follow? What are the steps to take? What are the words to say so that I'm in and I belong? Mm -hmm. But that's not what God was after at all. He wasn't about initiating you into a country club. He was very much about inviting you into relationship with himself. And think about your relationships. I mean, it's even complicated to talk about now. And I, are, neither of you guys are married, right? Correct. Okay. So, I do not know how in the world you guys would ever navigate the dating situation that's out there in the world right now, like using apps that would be like, here are my top 10 interest things. Go ahead and check all the boxes before we <laughs> even have a communication. Like that kind of thing exhausts me. But I know that is not what God intended when he wanted to reconcile us back into right relationship with him. Mm -hmm. No, he wanted us to come as we are and leave transformed. Not because we checked all the boxes to earn His favor. No, because we were able to receive His grace, mm. to receive His love in a way that it transformed not only our hearts and our compassion towards others, but it transformed the way that we see ourselves. And Mark, you were just talking about this. When you look at yourself in the mirror and you say, I don't look like Jesus, what if you got the revelation that you always were like Him? Yeah. It's how you were created. And even in those moments where you wanted to believe that you look different, our whole lives, it's, it's a constant coming into alignment with the truth about what He says about us, yeah. not what we think about ourselves. It goes back to the Garden of Eden when, when Eve was being tempted by the serpent and He said, did God really say you couldn't eat the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good news? Did God really say you couldn't eat that? And did God really say that it would make you die for the first time in Eve's heart? Doubt about God's character entered in, and she thought to herself, Is he holding out on me? Mm. Is there mm -hmm. something that God's not giving me? I, I'm just gonna take it because I don't I wanna I wanna be better than this. I wanna be better than the woman God created me to be. She doubted him so much in that moment. And when we Look at our lives, even when we compare our lives to other people's lives on social media, when we look at it, we have not only a scarcity mindset, but a horrifying competitive spirit. Yeah. We look at people and say, I want to be like that, or how do I get more like that, or why do they have it so good, and that kind of thing. That's that orphan mentality that yeah. rises up in us. It's back to saying that some level we think we have not been created in the image and likeness of God, that our full inheritance is somehow not available to us right now, which is not true. Mm -hmm. God, God not only spent the bulk of the Old Testament trying to put anything into place so that we, his people, would come back to him. He gave us the law. We broke it anyway. <laughs> 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 or wouldn't follow it. He went in and even tried to destroy... 
huge groups of evil, like with the flood and with the burning of Sodom and Gomorrah, like he's trying to burn evil. We just produced more evil. We didn't look at it and say, oh, thanks God for taking care of that. No, we just kept breeding evil. It finally gets to the point where God's like, all right, I'm just going to have to do this myself. I'm going to take on flesh. I'm going to come to the earth. I'm going to incarnate myself, come down, and I'm going to be the sacrifice. Mm. It's going to be my blood that saves these people. And with with a gift like that, with a sacrifice like that, we're literally staring God back in the face and saying, well, what do you mean there's no way I can pay you back for that? What do you mean there's no way that I can earn my way into that gift? Because yeah. I certainly don't deserve it. Yes, you don't deserve it. God has spent all of human history trying to reconcile his people back to himself. Yeah. He's wanted relationship with us like he had in the garden since the very beginning. And now, right now, when we, the church, his bride, are just now scratching the surface into the fact that God is good mm -hmm. all the time, as cliche as that is, he really is good all the time. His grace does not run out. Mm. He's not angry with us. He's not aggravated. He's not, he's not sitting up and keeping score. No, he's reaching out with open arms and saying, I don't care how broken you are. Please just come home. Yeah. It's already been made better. Just come back to me. Come back to me. And in that orphan spirit, we either don't believe it's true. It sounds too good to be true. Or we say, okay, God, I'll come, but let me just get myself together mm -hmm. before I come and fall into your arms. Like, I, like that grace sounds really great, and I really want that, but, like, I have a few things I need to take care of first. Yeah. Mm -hmm. He just wants us to come as we are and let him do the transformative work so that we would have no way to boast, no way to say that this is because of something that we've done. Mm -hmm. the, o the only way forward with this is humility, looking at our own lives, saying we do not deserve the grace that we've received. We deserve hellfire and damnation. It's what we deserve, but that's not what God gives. Mm -mm. Yeah. Yep. A huge portion of the church, because of the way we, the church, have been doing the business of church, so many people do not even know that God loves them. They don't even know it. Mm-hmm. So I believe that it's our responsibility now that we've even scratched the surface. And I believe, boys, we have scratched the surface with oh, this. Yeah. We, are, we are at the baby tip of the iceberg mm -hmm. with the level of grace and love that God is wanting to spread down on the world. He is actively drawing us back to him. Mm. And in mm -hmm. the midst of all of this, all we can do is just tell people what we've seen, right, what yeah, we've heard, right. and what we know to be true. Right. All of it ties right back to scripture. Yeah. It, it says right in there, he's reconciling the whole world back mm -hmm. to himself. Yep. Not even just his people. The, the language is the whole world. I don't even know what to do with that from a theological perspective. So I'm just going to put that over here and let God like walk me through that as we go. Mm -hmm. But I know when Jesus died on the cross, he died for all. Not all are going to receive him. Not all are going to choose him. Not all of us are going to come into alignment with him. But far be it from me to be a barrier to keep the gospel from anyone. And it's to a point in my life now, whether you're working with me in professional content strategy work or whether you're working with me in active ministry, you can't be around me for more than five or 10 minutes and not hear about the goodness of God mm -hmm. and what he's doing in my life today and what I heard, where I saw him today or where I see him loving and stepping in somewhere. He's with us. Mm-hmm. Even right now, even in the brokenness of our world, in the brokenness of our churches and our religious systems, He is with us. He's grieving with us. And He is ready to unveil the pathway forward to those of us who would even look to Him and ask Him, what now? Yeah. What now? What do we do now? He'll tell us. He doesn't like to withhold. He's so good. But humility is that only way forward. And coming together in unity, not dividing, yeah. coming together is the only way I believe we'll see him in his fullness. We'll see every facet of his character and who, who he is and who he created us to be. And with it, 
within and through those unique assignments, that's how we are the hands and feet of Jesus to a world who so desperately needs him. Like, this is an amazing time to be alive. Mm-hmm. I'm not even an end times prophet kind of person. I don't even go there. It's not my expertise, but I'm telling you, this is such a cool day yeah. to be alive. Mm-hmm. I I have a I have a grace on my life that has allowed me to invite people to the table to have real conversations about faith and about love and about God and about His character. People that would never set foot in the four-wall church institutions that we've built. And that's not because the church is bad. Certainly not. Mm-hmm. At some level, Christians have to organize. We have to figure this out and what we're going to do together. But I believe this is an opportunity for we, the church, to repent, yeah. to let go of that open spirit and to say, God, what's working really well in the church? What do we need to hold on to? And secondly, God, what's not working? What hasn't been working for a long time? Maybe that we just need to come to terms with. What do we need to let go of? And then finally, what is truth, God? What are we going to cling to? What is? What are the hills we are willing to die on together? And how can we bring the truth about God's love and about His grace and about His goodness to the world? How can we do that? And it's not about another curriculum. It's not about another 12-step program. It's not about any of that. It's about identity. It's about teaching the truth and the fullness of our identity. We are not orphans. We are sons and daughters. He calls us sons and daughters, even those of us who don't know we are yet. Yeah. <laughs> How yeah. cool is that? Mm-hmm. So, so it is an amazing time to be alive, to be a part of the church, because we are just a few years into what I believe will be a new apostolic reformation. There is something brand new happening within the church that is going to impact it on all sides. There will be a shaking at first, but mm-hmm. this is what the church needs. Mm-hmm. We need a shake. The way we've been doing it for the last hundred years is not going to work. Yeah. with the world we live in right now. So we have to figure out how to be stealth agents. How do we get in there? How do we love radically in a way that says, I don't know who you are. I don't know what, who you think you are, mm-hmm. but I want to know what you carry or more appropriately, who you carry. Right. In the midst of those conversations that I believe that transformation is going to happen. So in the midst of a world where Facebook is encouraging this cancel culture. If I don't like what you're saying, I'm going to shut you down. I'm going to hide you. I'm going to block you. I'm going to whatever. We don't need to be that way. In fact, if someone expresses an opinion that's different than yours, ask them. Say, tell me more about that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Tell me more about that. And listen. Authentically listen. Yeah. Don't listen to respond. Don't listen to convince them of anything. Get to the root and the heart of why people are carrying what they carry. Yeah. 99% of the time, I'm going to guarantee you it's going to stem back to a major issue and misunderstanding in their identity alignment. They don't know who they are. So they don't know how to love well. They don't know how to act well. We don't know how to love one another well, even though we are so well loved by God. Mm-hmm. It's an opportunity for us to love radically and not just figure out how to love our enemy, but to figure out, you know what? Maybe the word enemy isn't even in my vocabulary anymore. Maybe I don't mm-hmm. have it. And even if someone were, were to see me as an enemy, I certainly would not reciprocate with that. I would look at them, call them brother, and invite them to the table to break bread and say, tell me more about why you call me enemy. Who <laughs> <laughs> just knows I might have something to learn. I might have some way in which I've attempted to represent the heart of the Father well, and even in my best attempts, I've failed. Mm-hmm. What if we could communicate more clearly? What if we could love no matter what, even if we disagree? And what if we could come together around the person of Jesus Christ? Start there and let the rest of it figure itself out as we go. Let's have a reset, a big divine reset back to Jesus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Bree, how can people get a hold of you? An easy way is to go to my website. It's just BrittEaton.com, B-R-I-T-E-A-T-O-N.com. It connects you to uh, the types of work that I'm doing, uh, ministry materials. Uh, also connects you to my social network. So if you're interested in following and hearing more about what God's doing over in my corner of the world, I would love to connect with you. Come find me. Um, 
You can also, uh, my if you're interested in books and things like that, you can find them on Amazon and links to them from my website as well. But um, yeah, I'm going to be sharing this podcast everywhere. <laughs> so I can't wait to tell more people about what you guys are doing because these types of authentic conversations where we can sit and there's no hardcore time frame and we can just really dig into what we hear the Father saying right now, these are going to be the kinds of things that transform the church. So yeah, find me at BritEaton.com. Connect with me. I'd love to hear more about what um, our listeners are doing, what you guys are up to. And I'd love to hear more about the big shifts and changes that you're seeing uh, in the universal church right now. I want to hear what's going on. So, Britt, we will definitely have you back on. Um, Guys, thank you for joining us. Um, Please like, comment, share this video and audio out. We're on YouTube. We're on Spotify. We're on Apple podcasts we're on google podcasts so share this out we're everywhere and uh, please join us next time and we want we want your comments we want to hear what you guys are thinking we want to be able to 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 bounce those questions off of a our guests and and um, everyone here in the studio but guys thank you so much for joining us and we will see you next time right here on the love and grace podcast